Hey, what's up, guys? Last week when we started the episode uh, with, with Elder Brewing, I, I kind of threw out some beer festivals I was looking at and interested in. I just wanted to kind of, I got some more information on a couple of them. So first of all, we got the Illinois Beer Fest coming out in the at the Grundy County Fairgrounds out in the Morris area. That list keeps getting bigger. That's a brew competition uh, on the 17th, and the big festival is on the 18th. I think that goes from like 3... 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. or something but there's a great list and it keeps growing uh that's going to be a fun fest out there in a great spot but uh the the bolingbrook brew fest that's coming up that looks like it that list keeps growing as well i mean i'm seeing things like noon whistle pollyanna i mean sound growler tribes will county brewing altar breckenridge uh, brickstone half acre illuminated uh, metal monkeys out there it's, it's going to be a cool lineup but I, I think starting July 1st, they're going to be uh, giving, giving out uh, early bird tickets for 25 bucks a pop. So you can get your early bird tickets there. And uh, I talked to a couple of the guys doing the festival, and they would like to kind of give away some, some tickets on the show. So uh, keep listening uh, after July 1st. Hopefully we'll be able to kind of give away some of these tickets to the show. And as usual, I just want you to follow on social media. Get me on Instagram, Average Joe's Beer Podcast. Uh, find me that way. And then at JoeBob41 on Twitter and on uh, and on Untapped, as always. I almost forgot there for a second. Go to the Facebook page and like it. Go leave a review on iTunes if you can. Uh, this week, pretty awesome. John John freaking Laffler. John Laffler from Off Color Brewing. What a great story they are. What an interesting, just awesome uh, human being he was. He, he granted me some time to sit down and talk, and we talked about f- fermentation forward beer and I mean, a bunch of aspects of the industry and what it is and how John got into it and how John's kind of wading through that now, uh, what the current state is compared to when he got in, his time at Goose Island. Uh, we covered a bunch of stuff, and it was really cool, and the guy's brilliant and just a just an awesome person to sit down and spend in two hours with. All right, now we're officially rolling. Uh, first trip for me out to the mouse trap, and I'm joined by John Laffler. John, you're gonna say hi to the folks. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so, first of all, the mouse trap. The mouse trap makes me think of the character or mascot that you guys have on every beer. That's my first thought when I mm-hmm. see any of your beers. Why, why the why the mascot or the the mouse? Uh, so my mother was a child, children's librarian. Um, so storytelling and children's books and small woodland cutesy little creatures have always been uh, near and dear to my heart um i really like one of the things i really like about the industry that we're in about beer in general about bars about taverns uh is the ability for people to come together use it as a sort of a second living space uh and just shoot the shit hang out tell stories you know gab about current events uh just build community um, and there's a lot of storytelling that's involved with that, and storytelling is near to my heart, so it was a really easy fit uh, when we were looking at branding ideas, how we wanted to sort of create the ethos uh, of the brewery in the, in the very beginning. I mean, was that like no-brainer for you? Was it like, that? this, this, is, the, this is the mascot I want, or did that take like deliberation, going back and forth? and learn? But p- Picking the, I knew that I wanted a mascot. Um, landing on a grain mouse took, took some iterations. Um, but we did eventually land there. We had a bunch of other creatures we sort of had entertained. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our stuff comes down to some dumb joke. Um, and sort of the, the, the elevator pitch for it is uh, the gray mouse is the only creature at the brewery more often than Dave or I. Uh, <laughs> so that was just a very easy one. Um, it makes total yeah. sense then, right? And, and it does. It has that storybook quality to it when you see it, when you when you look at it on a bottle. And it totally, you know, it stands out on the shelves amongst mm-hmm. the 
God knows how many. That's what that's just one of the ways that we came up with our marketing or our mar- not marketing our branding ethos to begin with was, you know, walking down the line, the aisles of Benny's, um, and looking around and everything's just this color vomit, uh, just these, these overly expressive, bright neon colors of like screaming cartoon characters. Uh, and that works out great for some brands, uh, but that is not what we want our beers to be. We, we like this idea of sophistication. We like this idea of elegance, more refinement, um, and more subtlety. Uh, we don't make beer by just adding more and more stuff to something. Uh, there are other brands that do that. That's great. They make some very nice beers. Uh, there's not the types of beers that I particularly enjoy or definitely don't want to make. We're not adding cake to any of our beers. <laughs> no? No, no. Any bunt cakes or anything? No bunt cakes, no carrot cake, no pound cake. Um, just generally cakeless. Um, d- didn't think that would be something you That's had to define yourself line, as. The off-color ta- yeah. Generally cakeless. Generally cakeless. Those are on the new shirts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, mm. This is a cool space. I mean, uh, you have a production facility as well, aside from this then, the space mm-hmm. that we're in, or is okay? Um, yeah, so we have two breweries. Um, we were at, over at Dickens, and we're still we're still there uh, for at least I don't know four more years, I think, until we have to resign or something. We may have another uh, lease option after that. I don't quite recall. Um, but like when we, we were starting, like Dave and I are brewers. We know how to make beer, and that's really about it. Um, our first T-shirts said something to the fact of uh, you know we know how to make beer, or we're good at making beer. We're not good at anything else, or something along those lines. Um, so we're, we're just two production brewers. Um, so we very consciously started a production brewery. Um, you know, this is five years ago now, and the landscape was whole whole cloth different than it is right now. A little bit. Um, I mean, when we started, I want to say there was like 2,800 breweries. Uh, there's now, I think, more than that in planning for this year. Yeah. But, um, so <laughs> this landscape's very different um you could still start a production brewery and make your bones on just selling beer wholesale um that's what we were good at that's what we knew how to do we didn't know anything about running a hospitality business uh about having you know people show up um wanting to buy bottles doing bottle releases none of that we were just like we're gonna make beer we're sell it to wholesale we're gonna focus on creating the best beer we possibly can and have that be what we do looking Um, back on it now do you do you think that do you call that like naivete or do you call that like uh just just being green or just just didn't know being no that was, that's what the market that's was what we wanted to do that's, that's what, what we wanted to do that's what the market then was um we reacted to market changes uh we had enough people you know because the dickens brewery is relatively close to a uh a blue line stop uh so we would get people coming from out of town because you know we we went relatively national very quickly um we had people show up from out of town with like suitcase in hand, showing up at the brewery, knocking on the doors. You're like, cool. Like, where's the, where, where can I drink beer? I'm like, uh, sorry. How, how did you find us? <laughs> I mean, at Googling that point, it, like basically yeah, but at yeah. that point we had a green door. There's no signage. There's a piece of blue tape on it. that says, yes, it's here. And that we just put up for the, the delivery drivers. Um, cause then we were not, we had no front facing part of the business. Um, but enough people showed up with suitcases in hand that eventually we opened a little bottle shop there just so we could sell beer to go. Um, then we started doing bottle releases. Um, and then eventually we ended up at, uh, at a point where it made sense to open up a, a tap room. Uh, we had initially looked at 
uh, sorry, just no, it's again fine. doing. Don't worry about again it. Again doing hey, pink splits. We talked about this before are... we started. You you were working as you are talking to me, yeah. so not a big deal. We're, we're gonna... I prefer you get your work done yeah. than bother <laughs> focusing. Well, we're gonna package fifty six cases of koi tomorrow. That was just decided. Woo, so. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So we enough people to like sort of show up and. We opened the bottle shop and then started doing bottle leases and people wanted to drink beer there. And it's like, well, then it's really good bars in Chicago. And eventually we ended up uh, at the point where it made sense to open a tap room. Um, initially, when we, we were running out of spank and tank, tank space is a, a big thing in breweries, obviously. Um, so we were running on tank space so we could, in order to like hit our production numbers, so make enough apex, make enough tooth and claw, make enough troublesome. Uh, really ran out of time and tank space to make new projects and, and work on R&D stuff and make wild beers, stuff that we really enjoy doing in addition to like production-based beers, which we'd love. But, you know, if I just wanted to say a shift brewer, I, I would still work for another company and make yeah. a make a much easier living than uh, than yeah. this side of it. This comes with a lot more, yeah. a lot more uh, when, when it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we initially, like we knew we'd had to grow in order to do what we wanted to do again. Uh, this was four years ago that we kind of, maybe three years ago that we started planning like in earnest. Uh, initially we were looking at doing like the next step, which everyone was doing with that point was, you know, we have a 20 barrel brew house. You grow into a 50 barrel or 60 barrel brew house. You go from making, you know, basically like you know, five to 10,000 barrels a year to like 25 to 30,000 barrels a year. We started planning that, that next expansion step. And one day Dave and I just kind of looked at each other and just like, do you, is this what we want to do? Yeah, we're both the like, plan, or are we no. just following some pre-grooved yeah. path? That's yeah. yeah, so we decided to spend about the same amount of money to build a much larger brewery, to build a much smaller brewery, uh, but just really focusing on the stuff that, A, I think we're particularly good at, um, and B, that we enjoy doing. Um, just like, again, I don't want to make Apex every day for the rest of my life. That's, that's not right. why we do this. You guys are called off-color brewing. I mean, you don't strike me as the kind of people that want to find a groove and stay there forever yeah. i mean you know just in the name itself it's off color and mm -hmm. and you guys are so i mean that that thought process that ethos is is so pronounced now in the current market to me you know from the outside looking in because you you, you kind of touched on the bright colors and the, the shelf spaces that you see like to me it's kind of getting to a point where like where's the different mm -hmm. where's the different at like now people are pointing to places like you and Dovetail and like people that are kind of metropolitan who've kind of stuck to these traditional brewing styles or like I mean it's traditional, but it's also experimental. You know, it's, it's fun. The mm. wild cultures and the mixed cultures and all that. I mean, it's they're amazing beers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you know, wild brewing is at the forefront of the sort of modern American craft brewing. But on the other hand, it's, it's still extremely old techniques. Um, you know, this is how most beer was produced. Uh, we're just more or less doing it more intentionally uh, than, than unintentionally like it was throughout most of history. But we're not we're not recreating any wheels here. Uh, we're just we're not creating any new wheels. We're just recreating everything. It's now with this space that you have now with the mousetrap, right? It's, it's called the mousetrap. Did you guys choose to call it the mousetrap? Was this a conscious decision? Was this like, oh, it's good marketing? Or is this like, no, I like this. Like, this feels good. It feels right. Well... Relatively long story. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. I like those. So we didn't have really, we didn't have a name for it. We knew we wanted a name for it beyond just like off color brewing tap room because yeah. that's just kind of boring. It's on color. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was really corny. Uh, oh, we, have, we have lots of corny jokes. Just you wait. Um, and uh, as we were just sort of spitballing ideas, I just, I like cats. So I just started calling it Meow Town. 
Um, I saw the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Meow Town. Yeah. And that was just kind of its unofficial name. So just like, you know, and just like, hey, John, where are you going to be today? Or like, what needs to happen? It's like, well, I'm, I'm at Meow Town until like four and then I'll be in after that. Um, at one point, uh, Dave, my business partner, just, just like, he pulled me aside. He's like, it's not going to be like a cat bar, is it? I'm like, I'm like what do you mean? He's like, like those, you know, there's like the cat cafes where there's like cats walking all over. Like, you're not building a bar with a bunch of cats in it, are you? Shit, I hadn't thought of that. Whoops. And the look of terror that came across his face. Uh, that, that was not, not the plan, nor is that the plan, but you, you could see in, in Dave's eyes, it's the second <laughs> yes. biggest argument we've ever had. Um, I just I, saw someone complaining about cats at a bar one, like recently, you know. Yeah. The internet's good for that. People, people will find anything to complain about. But yeah, like that's, yeah, I could see the nightmare that he was picturing. Yeah. When, so, so the mousetrap. The mousetrap is what we settled on. Which yeah, so yeah, well, the initials cool MT were there. And then yeah. one day we just kind of figured out like, oh, yeah, we, we have mice. And we want people to come here and hang out and all that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's such a welcoming space too when you walk in. I mean, I mean, I walked in. I got a nice light beer and and, and some and some uh, dark matter coffee. You know, I mm-hmm. set up shop here for hours. I was working from, working from home. You know, quote unquote mm-hmm. remote, taking care of my day job. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such a nice space and welcoming. Um, to go back now, you you mentioned Dave a couple times. Can we, let's talk about that. Like, where did you guys kind of find each other, and and then all of a sudden it led you all the way to this place. Sure. So, uh, yeah, Dave Blightner is my business partner. Uh, we met uh, at Siebel when we were both doing that back in 08. Yeah, 2008. Um, kind of headed off there uh, after Siebel ended. Uh, Dave started interning at Metro like on like their like fourth day or something ridiculous, like early like that. Um, then I started helping out there as well a few weeks after, maybe like a month or two after. I don't quite recall. It's a long time ago. Um, but in the very, very early days of Metropolitan, we were both after Siebel helping out there. So when you say helping out at, at, at Metropolitan, like, what is that? Is that like an internship? Are you just showing up? Like, can I help with something? Can I carry a bag? Can I dump something? Can I, yeah, nope. can I mash out? Like, you know, that was, you could still do that then. Um, uh, I mean, when I decided to go to Siebel it, it was two weeks be- between like the time, like maybe six weeks, but it was a very short period where it's like, oh, I don't want to do what I'm planning on doing. I want to do this instead. Next day, like, hey, can I do this? Like, I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, you have a, enough science background that there's no like additional testing or whatever. Uh, classes start, and and cool, you're enrolled. Uh, then for a long time, there was like two or three year waiting list um, afterwards because again, brewing blew up. You know? Yeah. When I, when I got into brewing here in Chicago, not that I've been brewing that long, but it's, it's been about a decade now. Um, but like, you know, we you knew every brewer in Chicago. You knew their wives. You knew their kids. You knew their dogs. There was 30 some brewers in Chicago. Uh, I mean, now there's, you know, more, more tap rooms than, than original brewers. It feels like, um, uh, a much, much smaller, much, and honestly, much more close knit community than it is now. Just cause now that there are hundreds of people in it, uh, not everybody knows each other. Kind of hard to maintain uh, those, those high end relationships yeah. like that. Yeah. But you know, we would just show up at Metro and we'd, you know, help bottle, we would help keg, we'd help grain out. Um, eventually you learn enough stuff that you start helping doing clean, other clean, stuff. Oh, clean, yeah. clean. So that's still <laughs> that's what job, most right? of your day is spent doing now. Um, that and occasionally running to Home Depot to buy plants, but <laughs> between those two things, so that, that's most that of your happened day. right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been running to Home Depot a lot for plants. Just today we're trying to get the patio finished finally because oh, okay. you know, it is like halfway through the, like <laughs> the season. So 
Uh, yeah, people are going to love that, too. Yeah. Those plants got those beautiful umbrellas out there with the logos. People are going to have plants around them. Oh, man. And now what we get to learn about brewing and why Dave and I originally wanted to be just production brewers is now I know a lot about fucking patio umbrellas oh, and how much Jesus. a goddamn pain in the ass they it are. It started to get windy out earlier. I saw yeah. half the staff running out there like, oh, we better close these up. Oh, sure. <laughs> we got we got the, like, the little shade tent, the little pop-up over the uh, the satellite bar so like the bartenders don't get you know sunburned when they're out there. <laughs> After it was up for maybe six hours, it it wasn't anchored properly. It blew out into the street, caused a bunch Fun. of like just also just a bunch of honking. It's like Jesus. this is why I just want to make fucking beer. I just want to yeah. bottle it and sell it. Yeah. Let's just be done with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a whole different headache. I think. Yeah, it's but, a learning experience. But the uh, I mean, the marketplace calls for it now, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's so getting back to you guys' story, like you guys were, were at Metro helping out, uh, and so how did that evolve? I mean. From helping out to... Yeah, so Metro, Doug and Tracy, want, I think they went out to GABF. I'm pretty sure it's GABF. Um, so they were gone for like a week, and Fobab, Festival of Barrel Age Beers, was coming up. Metro, at that point, wasn't doing anything barrel aging. Uh, so Dave and I was like, hey, like, if, can we just like make a beer like, and then enter it under the Metro name? Because like, we can't just enter homebrew into yeah. this. Uh, and they were nice enough to say yes. We made a, uh, we made a Doppelbach. Yeah. I would say we made an Icebach. Making an Icebach is illegal. An Icebach is when you make a Doppelbach and then you freeze it. Then you, if you remove the frozen water, because water freezes before alcohol does, uh, you then concentrate uh, all the flavor compounds um, as well as the alcohol. Um, so it goes up in ABV, but also it's basically just dehydrating a Doppelbach to make it stronger, um, just through concentration. How significant is that increase in, in alcohol? That you, you're the first person that's ever brought that type of beer to my oh. attention. That's awesome. uh, it depends on how much water you, you take out, and there's calculations you can do to see the the, the rate at which uh, water will start to slush out uh, based on ABV. Um, right. So that's one of the ways that you measure it. You can also measure it by weight. But um, why is it illegal? Because uh, it's just considered distil- it's considered a form of distillation. Okay. So it'd yeah. be a different license. I see. Um, but that would be illegal, so we, we didn't do that. Um, so after we did not do that, uh, we had this strong Doppelbach that we had made. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of days before, like, the entries were due, we're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is the category we're putting it in. I don't recall what it was, but it was probably classic styles or strong pale. Um Shit! It says that it has to be like it's special barrel aged beer. It has to be aged in or on wood. So Dave and I kind of looked at each other and then went, "Oh, uh, this is just a strong, tasty Doppelbach." Um, and then I don't remember if Dave or I, but one of us had the idea of like, "We'll just take the keg, put it on two by four, and it's, it's aged on wood." Now and that's a good joke, right? And, and that approach to problem solving uh, was when like it kind of like first clicked that like he and I like we have a similar mindset and we approach problem solving. In, in the same ways. Uh, we then added three, like, Hungarian oak cubes to it for 24 hours, and that was Trapped that. them in there. Like, yep. Eh. Nope. No, it's now it's wood-aged. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, been touched by wood. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty soon after that, we started uh, developing business planning and, and laying out the types of beers we wanted to make and what we wanted the brewery to eventually look like. And part of the business plan was learning how to do, do it. I mean, uh, there weren't a lot of jobs back then, and you know, you really, when you work in restaurants, like you start off washing, washing dishes and you slowly work your way up. Um, and it's a type of training that doesn't exist in brewing anymore. And it, I think it really should. 
um, you know, like I got mis- that like premise of you know, yeah, you can wash the vegetables, you can chop them, now you can do this. Have you mm-hmm. you've earned my trust on that, and now you can move up like an apprenticeship almost. Exactly, so. and you know th- everything all the way through. You know why you do stuff, and you know it's, it's you could train a monkey how to brew beer. Brewing beer is not that complicated. You could follow it's the just, steps if you wanted to. Yeah. It's just knowing why you're doing something, so you can adjust for it when something inevitably goes wrong. Because something inevitably <laughs> goes wrong. Um, and we, we just bought a new bottling line and we're very excited to get it in. Like one of the questions is like, you know, what, you know, we see a pretty big range on sort of the bottling speed, um, like what's with this giant range. And they're basically said that, oh, well, you know, how quick you can run it is based upon your mechanical aptitude. Okay. That's a lot of what brewing is. It's intriguing. Learning all the, all the steps along the way. So you're able to adjust for when things go wrong. Um, so it's like, we're, we're, Pretty good at taking part and putting machine back together now. Uh, now, now we have a whole new machine to learn. But um, if you don't know all the steps leading up to something, you don't really understand what you're doing. Then all of a sudden, something breaks and you're kind of screwed. As opposed to being able to adapt and overcome. Yeah, that's that's got to be a handy thing. You can't just have somebody say, "Here's steps one through ten. This will produce this beer. Recreate those steps." Because mm-hmm. if you don't have that. There's disaster around the corner every chance you get. I mean, that's what I'm taking out of what you're saying yeah. right now. Yeah. So, th- going back to that that beer, like, did, did it go into JB JB JABF? Uh, if I could get through yeah. it, oh, Fobab. It went okay. to Fobab. It got to second round, which was which was <laughs> wow. pretty good. Anytime a beer gets your second cubes. round to Fobab, it was is, is a good thing. Uh, it did not medal, unfortunately, but but still, se- second round's pretty good. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, at at the time, and I mean, what was you thinking? Like what, two thousand nine, two thousand eight, somewhere in that area, so or was probably oh nine? Oh nine, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's got to be a different world too. Fobab then, Fobab now. Oh yeah, Fobab then. He had three hundred entries, maybe. Uh, it all fit in a in a small auditorium. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just a mad idea. It's crazy to see the growth from every angle. It's, it's the guild's biggest profit um, center, so they have a very strong vested interest in growing it. Uh, okay. So. I so. learn something every time I do one of these, man. There's so <laughs> much. There's so much to learn in this business. Uh, it, no, it, so you, you talked about uh, you, you and Dave's kind of coming up. Like, wh- where where did you start? Like, where did your? What was your? I don't know. Where was that first interest when you were like, huh? I like beer. You know. I've just kind of always liked beer. My grandmother liked beer. My father liked beer. Like they weren't like into it, into it, but mm-hmm. you know they they like good beer um, more than just like I oh, like here's the Miller Light. I'm a Miller Light man. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of my sort of friends that I grew up with, uh, he got into beer before I did, and he would he would be like smelling like a Bell's Too Hard, and he'd be like, "There's like a subtle cherry character in here, and like a like some like stone fruit." And I'm just like, "What the what fuck are you, are you talking about?" Um, and that it intrigued me. Um, to the point that, you know, started consciously trying to taste better and smell better, uh, which is, you know, it's not something that you're necessarily born with. It's something you have to work at is developing a palate. Um, and you, you if you kind of like look through like beer dorks, you see a very strong progression. Um, you, initially it's just like, I just like things cause I can taste that it's different than something else. Um, and then people tend to like more and more and more stuff. So like, what's the strongest beer? What's the hoppiest beer? What's okay. the what's the biggest imperial Find the stuff? extremes, kind of. Exactly. Build a baseline. You're sort of saying things. And then you see people sort of start to take a step backwards. Um, and then we find a love for subtlety. We find a love for, like, lagers and low ABV stuff, English bitters. Um, stuff that doesn't have to scream at you in order for you to appreciate or, or taste it. 
um, at least those are the people in beer that I grew up around. That was my, my cohort. Uh, I honestly don't understand a lot of what beer is doing right now. Uh, it's, it's a very different beast than I'm used to dealing with. And I like that we live in this little tiny bubble here. At, uh, well, at least I do. Or you can get to <laughs> at, M- at MT because I have a clientele out there and I work on this side. We're seeing the brewery now. Right. Going at the tap room and a lot of the beer that I make goes, goes right over there. Yep. Um, and people seem to like it, uh, which is flattering and wonderful. And, and well, we, there's no we doubt about it. it with what you guys are making, people are loving, but I think it, it kind of just, it's, I don't know, flies in the face of the norm right now. Makes sense. But I get, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's not what you're getting everywhere else, but it's just as popular as, you know, the stuff that yeah, we're, we're not getting as much, as many articles and like that sort of like fanfare for um, now as yeah, we used know. to <laughs> for the, uh, for the current trend, I guess, yeah, you know, we're, we've never been an on-trend brewery. Um, we just make, we're a very fermentation focused brewery. We like fermentation flavors. We like what yeast does. I think for, for me, that's the best part of the whole, whole process is yeah. how would you, how would you describe fermentation for, you know, focus like for somebody who maybe just doesn't, doesn't like, what does he mean? We're fermentation focused brewery. Most of our beers get the character from the fermentation. That's the, biggest flavor contribute um, to the beers that we make um, as opposed to a hop for a brewery like Lagunitas or, uh, or um, Half Acre, for example, where, you know, they're very hop for a brewery. Most of the flavors, most of the differentiation between brands, between beers uh, comes from the hops that they use. Um, and, you know, I, I'm on record that Alpha King, I think, is one of the perfect beers out there, and I love it to death. Um, I don't dislike happy beers, but we don't make happy beers here. That's just not what we do. It's not what we want to do. Um, for better or for worse. Uh, I think there are enough brands and enough breweries out there focusing on making happy beers and, and, and doing all that, that I, I don't see any room for us in there. It's not something that we care about. So if we were to just, let's just make a, let's make a happy beer because we can sell it. At that oh point, yeah, people would lose their mind if you guys made a happy beer. People eh, would just go nuts. You'd, I, have, you'd have lines out the door. It'd be crazy, but I, like, I, I don't like know that. if that's true, but we did, we did make a, we did make one pale ale once. Um, with a with a wiseacre and three Floyds, uh, called Alfalfa Kang. Um, oh yeah, I yeah. think I've had it actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a fun beer. So we uh, we we ran all the uh, when we were lottering, we were taking the wort out of the grain and transferring it to the kettle. Uh, we ran it through alfalfa hay. Uh, it was fortunate because I was brewing down with Jester King. I don't know three four weeks before we brewed that beer, and they had also made a few hay beers. Um, so it was just like just you know shooting the shit, talking about like what's going on. Like, oh, yeah, we're making this, this alfalfa pale ale, uh, kind of make fun of the Three Floyds boys because they're fun to make fun of. Um, and they're like, oh, cool, like, don't put it in the mash. I'm like, cool, like, why not? That's kind of what I was planning to do. Like, oh, yeah, we did that the first time, and all the hay just like, intertwines with each other and basically makes a big rope. Huh. And then as your, as your rakes are turning around, it gets all in, intertwined and bends, bends the shit out of your rakes. Really? Yeah. Wow. So they were, they were nice enough to share that. Uh, so I'm like, cool, well, Thanks for letting me learn from your giant, expensive, bad mistake. I was going to say, they yeah. saved you a couple of bucks there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, some aggravation, a couple of years, years I have in my life left. I don't want to sidetrack you too much, but I mean, the, the, you brought him up because there, I'm not a well-traveled guy around the country to get to these places, but I've, I'm lucky enough to have a cousin that lives in Austin, and their place just blows me away every time I walk oh, it's gorgeous. In. Absolutely gorgeous. It was unbelievable. I mean, I'd never thought that that could be... You know, I'm used to this this area's 
breweries, you know, and then I go out and see this outdoor, this open, mm-hmm. beautiful space, and yeah, they, and and their beers are like you, like they're unapologetically their beers, you know, which I I thought was just awesome. And they, you could go there. Bottle list has old beers from them that you can get a nice cellar list when you're in there. I mean, it's just a cool thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not what I was expecting, you know. And cousin says, "I'm taking you to a brewery. You like beer, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, you're expecting like a Pale Ale and Pilsner and like 1995 wow, Brewpubs. Farmhouse, yeah. every, you know, just, yeah, gorgeous. Just, uh, and just the visual. I mean, I could just hang out there. Yeah. You didn't have to have beer there. <laughs> they, they, they bought all the all the land, too. Yeah, they got the pizza place there. Yeah, they, they bought the pizza <laughs> place. They, they got everything. And yeah. that was important to them. As they call it buying the dirt. Um, this drinking game you play, by the way, because every time they say sense of place, you have to take a drink. But that, that's another story. Um so they, they kind of helped you out then with that that thought process. Oh, sure. Because like, it was something, you know, I think I talked to somebody recently that tried, that was doing something like that, like putting it through straw. Um, it it might have been um, Brandon over at Workforce. I don't know if you're familiar with them in Plainfield, Illinois, but uh, he was talking about making like a, an old, I can't remember, they, they're classified as like old world beer or something. Okay. And, it, and that was how they wanted to do it in like wood. You know, they cut a barrel open and used that as the, as the mash and all that, and they put the straw in there. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting that you mentioned using yeah, that because I hadn't heard that technique. Oh, before. sure. For for years, yeah, there was a way to establish a, a grain bag because we had surely modified malt and we had really, really poorly crushed malt. Um, so now we can get a nice, easy lauder uh, because we have we have good malt. We're really good at grinding. Um, we have you know, brewing scientists that tell you what your, your sieve analysis are supposed to be. Uh, we figured this stuff out, but... Back in the day, it's like you grew your malt, or you grew your grain, you malted your own grain, um, and then you had to you had to figure out how to actually water it. Um, so yeah, it was really easy to put straw down in the bed. I think we use a stainless steel screen on the bottom. It's it's much easier than adding a bunch of straw. Like for the dummies, it's like it, it would be explained as like versus like a false bottom and mm-hmm. you know, okay. So basically, you're just replacing it with this actual organic material. That's yep. so. So when you guys made that beer, that was a full collab between all three of you guys. You were all in on it. And well, D- David and I at, at Wiseacre uh, came up with the idea, and then called Nick Floyd. <laughs> yeah, like, hey. Said, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna be doing this thing. If you want to come by, and he said, I'm gonna call you back. <laughs> and they called me back. He said, It's a good thing I like you. Alpha <laughs> <laughs> uh, King. And then, uh, then it was, that was three of the collab, but it was a, it was a fun beer. Uh, no plans of ever doing stuff like that again. But, right. Was that um, a 750 milliliter you guys <laughs> did that in? I feel like I remember seeing that on the shelves a couple of times. I think I had it. It was a fun really beer. unique beer, you know, compared to what, if you're like used to buying like permanent funeral or something from them and you see their name on something and you yeah. buy that, it's like, whoa, this did, is a different did, world. Did not taste like a three boys beer <laughs> by any stretch. <laughs> no. Um, and then uh, what we were not expecting was alfalfa threw a ton of polyphenol into the mix. So, uh, not to get too too nerdy on it, but we're, okay. we're super nerdy here. Um, eventually, that reacted with some other compounds that, that are in beer to form haze. Uh, this Uh-oh. was before haze Uh-oh. was cool. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You brought up the magic word. But then <laughs> that, that the haze that it creates is a relatively permanent haze. Then it all slowly comes down. So at the end, like you had like a good... like quarter to half inch of just gunk in the bottom of the bottles yeast which sitting like, is oh, it's, it's not yeast it's a protein it's, okay yeah um <laughs> they're like oh cool well i'm glad we're not doing that again because that looks gross but then does, uh, that, does that mess with like the equip- equipment like in the brewing process or does that just come like when it's in the bottle or is that i mean no that's that, just it doesn't just gunk up the like the 
No, because it, it's uh, it's an aging effect. Okay. Um, so once it sits for a little while, yeah. okay. So, and it, I think if I threw that at month four or five, something like that. It wasn't like in like a week or so that I threw that, but you know, you, you learn new things every time you do something something new, yeah, uh, or something kind of weird and out there, because. Um, you know, most people don't brew with alfalfa, uh, so there's not a lot of people you can call and then ask about uh, colloid stability over time with with beers filtered through alfalfa hay. It's just a lot of the science we have comes from uh, from making international lager beer, uh, which is not what we do in a lot of times on the craft side. Yeah, how do you connect yourself with like the old world? I mean, do you travel and stuff? Do you go try things overseas or like just those old styles and? Or do you just kind of like do what you do and take inspiration from the area? Uh, so I used to do a lot more travel. Um, not that I'm old, but I'm getting older <laughs> and I like being home more often. Um, I used to do a lot more travel. Um, but Chicago has always been a great place for brewers and for brewing because uh, we always had good distribution just because Chicago is a natural crossroads in the U.S. So yeah. we just always had good distro. Uh, we've had a couple of very great beer bars um, and great beer shops. Uh, that have helped grow Chicago as well. Um, so you don't have to necessarily go to the Netherlands in order to try Netherlands beer. At least this is, you don't, definitely don't have to now, but I'm talking 15 years ago. Uh, but you could go to Westlake for your liquors and walk in there and be like, I don't know what at least a third, if not 40% of the beers like, on the shelves even are. Like, I've never even heard of these beers. Like, what's, what's, how do you even pronounce Nuno? Uh <laughs> So you, you didn't have to do a lot of travel uh, because you could just go to, you know, Addison and Damon. Uh, you could go to Maprim. You could go to uh, uh, Hopleaf, uh, and they would bring the world to you um, in a way that if you look, grew up in, like, Grand Rapids or, or, I don't know, Cedar Bank or something like that, uh, you don't have that access to this worldwide market. Yeah. Um, so very early on, became very interested in saisons um, and, again, more fermentation-focused stuff, obviously, as you can tell with the beers that we make. Uh, that would lend, lend an influence. You stuck with it. <laughs> stuck with it a couple, for a little bit. Um, also, like this was like the, the initial stuff when like Mikel was ju- just first getting started and selling beer to the U.S. and seeing Mikeller's approach to experimentation and freshness—not freshness of beer, but freshness of ideas—and um, you know, this is years before like the single hop series. But the single hop series, when he first did it, that was revolutionary. Like, nobody did a series of 30-some beers all, all done with the same hop. 30-something beers. Yeah. Uh, nobody would do that. No one's uh, doing that now, either. They're doing more, but I guess. But yeah. I, don't know. I mean, that, that idea has come and gone. Like, if you did that now, it would be very trite. But oh. at the time, it was revolutionary. Uh, and I always really appreciated his approach to that and, and always looking at what's next, looking at not at what people are currently doing and how can you jump on that, that fad mm-hmm. train, uh, but trying to see around the corner and see what's happening next. Um, that leads me to Greg Hall, who I also learned that from. Um, I think I had one of the best jobs in brewing because you know, I, I worked in R- basically R&D for Goose. Um, I reported to Greg Hall pretty much directly. I uh, technically reported to Tom Quarter, but he and I were like the innovation Tom's department. been on the podcast. Sweet. He, he was wonderful. Yeah. He was wonderful. I mean, again, mixed cultures. Like He, he, mm-hmm. loves, he loves that stuff. And well, sure, you can see a lot of similarity between us and Penrose because... Tom and I spend a good number of years working very closely together. Uh, so, yeah, we, we share a lot of a lot of the same blending profiles and, and taste characteristics and ethos, um, the things that we think are important, the things that we think work well. Um, again, Penrose is the same way. Like, they, they don't create beer writing and more and more stuff to something. 
oftentimes trying to bring things, pull things out of something in order to make it more interesting than adding more stuff to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, like in the, in the goose days, we did add more and more stuff to things. Again, it was the different times, like adding coffee to, to an Imperial stout wasn't a, a daily occurrence. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's John, John Muscovich's idea originally. I don't actually recall, but I think it was J Dub's idea originally. Um, I love it because like it's playing off of a natural characteristic that's already in the beer, and then you highlight and express that. Um, so, in, yes, it is an additive effect, uh, but I think it's more interesting because it's highlighting a characteristic that often gets overlooked, like the roast character or, or a dark fruit character. Uh, like when we first first started doing stuff like uh, like cherry B- BCS, you know, there's this subtle cherry ester that com- pops up from the fermentation itself, from the ESB yeast that we used to ferment it or used to, to ferment it. Um, like, so we had a cherry to highlight that character so people can smell both the cherries and then also learn more about what the beer is and, uh, have a greater appreciation for, for the base beer, um, as opposed to like, oh, cool, here's this and gummy bears and fucking yeah. whatever. It's a thought process, but yeah. it had some reasoning behind it yeah. initially, and now it's kind of sparked this thing, you know, now the pi- pastry stout and, you know, whatever, whatever else you can adjunct into, into a stout. Oh, sure. Uh, but but at the time, it sounds like there was, there was real thought going into it and playing with the, you know everything from the science to the to the uh, end user's final yeah, product and absolutely. appreciation for it. The, one of the few beers I never got to make that I really wanted to make, because um, we had, we'd done vanilla BCS um, and we were just like you know fussing around with different vanilla beans and all that, and then Tom or I, I don't remember whom, uh, it's like cool like if you ever do this again like let's not use any vanilla and then just use barrel selection because you know you taste thousands of fucking BCS barrels of the years and you learn that some are more chocolatey, some are more vanilla forward, some are more wood forward, some are just denser, some are more like motor oily. It's like we can just, we have a really refined palate for this one particular beer. It's not hard to walk down the row when you're uh, blending BCS together like for the base beer and just, you know, pull out that one, pull out that one, pull out that one. Uh, You pull out uh, five barrels from each row of 60 or 70 and all of a sudden you have enough beer that you can do a release. Yeah, there's a one-off right there. You know? I think that would be a much more interesting way of making something like BCS Vanilla. It's like by using barrel selection and using just the natural occurrence as opposed to adding exogenous vanilla beans. Is it interesting to do it see. in the beginning? Sure. Is it adding more of it again as, as interesting? No, it's not pushing the craft forward. Uh, it's just creating a something that you can sell. I mean, we, we create products every day that are intended for us to sell. I mean, this is this is a business, and you know, people make a living. All of our full-time people have uh, health insurance, which is extremely expensive, but something we're very yeah. proud of. That <laughs> um, gives them peace of mind. I mean, oh sure, and like you know, we're we're a small business, and we're, as a small business owner, something that we think about and care about. Uh, but at the same time, like we're also trying to be an artistic endeavor, uh, as opposed to just being a commodity brewery of just we make this because we know we can sell it. If the thing sells more, we make more of it. And then eventually you, you learn what saturation is, and then you make slightly less than saturation. Uh, <laughs> it's so, yeah. When you're boiling it down yeah. to that, it's, it's just crazy. You know, it's, it's in such an industry that's outside. You know, it's like, it's so cool. You know, it's such a cool industry on its face. And you, while looking at it from the outside, and it's hard for people to wrap their head around the fact that it is a business and you are thinking about health insurance and, you know, keeping your employees happy and engaged oh, sure. and, you know, 
part of it. It's it's always weird for people to look at the corporate or the business side of this. But same time, you're also a small business, you know, and that comes with its own challenges and things you have to learn. I'm sure that was a learning curve, too, once you got out of someone else's space and then had your own. Oh, sure. I mean, I remember a very early lesson that when we first started, it was just Dave and I. and We didn't have any clipboards. Like, oh, cool. If, <laughs> if I don't go buy clipboards, we don't have clipboards. There's not like the office supply closet. And somebody else isn't thinking about this ahead Nobody's of time. Got like, staplers just laying around. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> like, oh, well, I'll be right back. I can go buy some clipboards. By the way, we have seven dollars in our checking account. So, whoops. Yeah, yeah. Know, buy the cheapest ones I can get. Um, yeah, that was a sort of seminal moment where it's like you realize that like you're in this all alone. Um, it's just the two of you, and you, you got to figure it, figure it out. Uh, then another like big learning step for us was opening the tap room. Like we went from a staff of twelve or thirteen uh, to I think at our high point we were like thirty four people. So it's like oh. we basically like almost doubled if not tripled our our staffing in a week. Those are gargantuan um, numbers in this industry. I mean, you know, so you go to a lot of places. Half acres, half acres, like a hundred. Huge. But yeah. yeah. Gabe was um, on the podcast too, yeah. and that was another. He was telling me he's like, we got a new HR system this week. Yeah. It's like what? Like yeah, all the things. Yeah. It went from blowing glass to yeah. <laughs> to HR systems. It was like you know, going going zero to sixty. Like what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like I don't expect to hear cool people like you talking about their HR system they just got in. And you talked about uh, you know the that saturation and seeing you know does this sell? Does this sell? Like did you struggle with that when? I mean, what would you say like was Apex like one of the ones that that hit for you guys and was like oh shit people really love this beer like, oh for sure apex is is i don't remember what percentage our sales is but it's, it's a very still, large still huge yeah. very large percentage of what we do um fortunately it's a beer that we all love at the brewery i was, we, we I was still gonna ask love. you that but i mean i, yeah. I want to assume that yes yeah. but you know because i don't seem like you would just make it to make it yeah. you know uh we, we eventually dropped scurry we started with two year round brands scurry. Uh, scurry and uh troublesome uh, then we added Apex after that um, as, as, like, the next year-round offering. Um, eventually, like, Scurry just wasn't hitting enough numbers for it to make sense to make it. So you, you don't want to make beer and then have it sit around until someone eventually buys it. And by that point, it's it's at or near uh, its code date. It doesn't represent you guys. Yeah, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't mm-hmm. help us as a business. It doesn't help us as brewers. It doesn't help the consumer. Uh, it doesn't help beer. It doesn't help the industry. It doesn't help the retailer. It doesn't help the distributor. Does old beer does nobody any good? That's true. Um, Be diligent with your beers, yeah. people. Uh, so it just didn't make sense to continue, just like f- to force it. Um, it's, it's like this is five percent of our sales. It, it's a continual issue of go- out of code beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, we had to drop that down to uh, to so a winter seasonal. Uh, it sucked because that was a beer that we really enjoy personally. Uh, so one of my favorite beers that we we make, but doesn't make sense to make it year-round anymore we're able to condense a lot of demand for it into the, the season when it's out and it's kind of nice because instead of having it be kind of humdrum like oh this is like the beer i actually take home yeah uh it's like it's something you look forward to yes it's almost winter nice. yeah. <laughs> we're making scurry yeah. again yeah and then we can do some scurry nitro kegs which is oh, which are fun. gorgeous and then you send them out to the market and that's a whole other issue and, <laughs> oh what people don't buy it up they're too busy drinking new england's and uh, oh no so nitro beer is is difficult for a lot of accounts to handle oh. um especially anything that's not guinness um Guinness was it's always perfect every single time they'll they'll have a guy who'll come and do everything for you and as soon as like it's not that it, it becomes a much 
bigger headache for a lot of accounts. Can't get that um, nitro dialed in, basically. Exactly. And then I get phone calls like, it's not working. It's like, that, that doesn't make any sense. What, it's not working is not a description of what the issue is. Um, so then eventually, I personally usually would have to go like deal with it in some way, shape, or form, or get on the phone or something. It's like, cool. So for these 12 kegs, I, I have like four phone calls and like three account visits. Like, and you got to start doing the math. And yeah. you're like, all right, this is, this is really a good idea. But it's a gorgeous beer, though. I, I bet. Yeah. I mean, like Troublesome, I think, was the first beer I ever had from you guys. And I love that one, too. I mean, it's, it's got that dry, like champagne-y quality to mm. it, right? And then it's... It, and of course, the artwork. Like, you can't beat that artwork. Uh, it's maximum where the wild things are. <laughs> yeah, Mousified. Right. Yeah. It just has that, you know, stories are, are something that I love, and I love that you connected the, you know, that that bottle. Like, it, you can tell a story with that. With that. Um, but, you know, the, the big stuff like Apex and all that, like, is it weird for you guys now? To s- it's everywhere. Like, you can get it everywhere now. It's not, it's not everywhere. Well, no. No, right, right. But, I mean, it's... Can't get that Chili's yet. No? No, no unfortunately. No. I tried to do a count, call, count visit Chili's once, but <laughs> they, they wouldn't hear me out. Um, but it's it's in a lot of good accounts, and we're, we're very proud of how that beer does in the market and, and its reception. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a little high in alcohol. Uh, but, again, I have to drink beer. Like, Well, I don't have to drink beer all day long, but part of my job is being sociable. I um, hear you. So... Here at MD, we usually have a beer which is 4% or below, if, if not several of them. Yeah, your menu um, is stacked with great ones that are low like that. Yeah, I, mean, I know I know that it's higher, but I just had the tiny pillows. I mean, that was my first time having that beer. What a great beer. Yeah. I think that's only like 5.8 five, or something. 5.3, three, five, three, yeah. something like that it said on the menu. Oh. But, I mean, just, just a super tasty, like not you're not going to get blacked out on it. You yeah. <laughs> nice no, eight ounces of it. Well, that's the thing that I've learned from doing this podcast and talking to guys like you and, and uh, Gabe and uh, Drew Fox over at 18th Street. They all had these similar stories, whereas I guess from the outside looking in, before I started doing this podcast, my thought was like I'd go to a fest or something, and I'd see brewers, and I'd see – you know, these kegs that everybody's bringing, and it's like, man, they're bringing, like, some good stuff. Everybody's kind of showing off their wares at these festivals. I'm like, man, they're probably drinking all these great stouts and all this. <laughs> and Drew's just like, where is the fucking lager at? Yeah. Like, find me. Where's Dovetail at? Let me go yeah. get a drink from that. Where's Off Color at? I just need something. Oh, it's like, where's the Coles? Where's the Pilsner right. keg? Yeah. Uh, Hanupu Day, not this year, I think last year. Pretty sure Drew is down there, too, but... Uh, Seven Sun brought a keg of Kolsch, and that's what everybody <laughs> could be for. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's 95 degrees yeah. and 80% humidity. Like, I don't want to drink a, yes. a some, like, pa- Pipeworks, we call them patio stouts. Patio stouts. Because, uh, yeah, it's like, what, what? It's 90 degrees outside. It's sunny. You're sitting in the patio. What do you want to crush? Some, like, big, huge, like, very, like, unfermented uh, Russian Imperial Stout. The meaty with, with 14% uh, yeah. Imperial Stout. Yeah, I can chew patio on. stouts. Yeah. Just fucking chuggable. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Now, now, you mentioned Pipeworks. Do you guys like share a space of some mm. sort together? Okay. So yeah, that still goes on over there. And it, is that the Dickens? Uh, yeah, at okay. the production brewery at Dickens. Uh, behind it, there's a decommissioned alley. So basically, there used to be an alley, then somebody probably illegally built buildings all around it. So of course. it's like a little, little backyard area, but it's completely enclosed. So we, we have a door to it, and Pipeworks has a door to that area. Oh. Um, so it's a lot of cross-pollination that would happen with just people hanging out after shifts. It's a nice match. That's yeah. Not, that's, not, that's pretty cool. Some some OGs in the Chicago game and, here. Uh, very different breweries. Um, right. So there's it's not a lot of competition between the, the beers that we produce. Um, so it's They probably want to drink your beer when they get off shifts. So they, <laughs> give me something and, light, baby. Uh, I still really like Lizard King. Yeah. Um, Lizard well, King they, they can't nice about you good. Yeah. 
uh, the the Weber guppies, the mango, and the passion fruit. Yeah, guppies, a lot of that stuff is like too high in ABV for me. Cause oh, I think those ones are like four point eight. Those are like okay, their session cool. IPAs that gotcha. they, they do in the cans. But but well, yeah, like Ninja versus Unicorns, like eight percent. You know, you don't want a twelve percent beer. Like, <laughs> but that's that's just me. Um, yeah, I, I like my three and a half percent. Yeah, oh, I, I'm with you, man. I like that. My buddy Mike got me into that, and my buddy Mike frequents your spot here. I mean, he loves. He comes here every chance he gets in the city, and he really put me on to like, you got to try these. I know you. You know, I'm I'm that guy. I'm guilty. You know, go get your IPAs and stouts and all that stuff. And and he's like, he just drink some of these with me. So I mean, he gave me. We, we popped. I think like Eek and Scary and all these beers. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like a whole another thing that I'm not. You know taking advantage of so now in turn i'm focusing on you know beers like this and trying more stuff that like, like that you guys are serving here and loving it you know mm-hmm. especially now it's freaking 90 degrees outside you know that kind of thing one of the things I like about brewing is there should be a spot for everybody to do their own thing instead of everyone trying to do the same thing right so that's where i get irritated is when everybody's all of a sudden like cool the thing to do is make a galaxy ipa everyone everyone do that jump in the boat yeah okay. uh that just really I don't see the point because, you know, we all have these brew houses. Like, we all have this chance to say something with the beer. Again, if we're considering beer as an art form as opposed to just a commodity, um, then it should be saying something because, you know, that's the whole idea of art. It's art is a really convoluted way to express an idea or an emotion. Um, and if we're trying to do anything in beer that is more than just create a product that we sell, there should be a fucking point to it. Um, do you feel like there is, I mean, when you talk like that, do you say, like, there's no room for that stuff, or it's like, there's room for it, let's just take it easy? You know? I think there's like, more room than people think there is for that. I'd, I'd like more breweries to ex- express something. I don't, I don't even care what it is that you want to express. We'd express something as opposed to just making the same beers as the brewery down the road is making. Um, you know, especially with this, this explosion of hyperlocal, now you have you know 2,000 breweries, most of whom are making the exact same lineup. Um, sure, they will all taste different because every brewer's beer tastes different, every brew house's beer tastes different, um, every region tastes different. Um, but if everyone is trying to make the same beer, what's the point of having to travel anymore? What's the point of learning anything new? Because you're just, cool, I'm in, I'm in a new city. What, what, what's a cool brewery around here? Oh my God, you have this, I'll just pick on Galaxy for some reason. Well. Because it's a galaxy pale ale. <laughs> cool, yeah. If it's thirty-two dollars pound, we use nineteen pounds of it per barrel. Cool. So, so did the guy like in Cincinnati? So did the guy in the Netherlands? So did the guy in you know Tampa? So did the guy in D- Boise and Dubuque? Like, at certain points, it's not unique. It's not new. It's not pushing beer forward. It's just creating something to sell it. Not and, it and I know I've talked to a lot of guys. They they explain you know and a lot of guys truly just do love the big hoppy ipa and that's why Mm -hmm. they make them and you know that kind of thing you know they there's guys on the other side that like their passion is the big hoppy everything um but you know you hear the story of let those people do that right not everybody needs to do what they're already doing and if you see the excess of some of those brands doesn't mean that you should do the same thing in order to get that same success or that same attention i've heard the line uh they flow. They, they they move the tap lines. They move the you know they move kegs. They move bottles. They move. But to, what, you talked about you touched on hyper local. To me now it's like these like let's say for example breweries coming from way out. You know uh, when Lagunitas came over from the West Coast and you know the, some of these bigger uh, world nation, nationwide breweries. It's like 
it's hard for people now when they go to their local liquor store and they're like, well, I could buy that, but there's a guy down the street making one. It's just like the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, it gets crazy. I guess it's saturated, right? I guess you call it saturated, but it's everybody seems to be focused on, on how local can you get. And, and it's killing the regionals. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's killed a bunch hard already, for them to make so. those moves and yeah. into these areas. And this beer, like, uh, let's say, for example, no, don't get me wrong, Pseudo Sue is a good beer, you know, and they came over and I think it just turned into a shelf turd a lot of the places because it was just too much of a good thing and they just kept wanting to send more cases and more cases and it's like well, and then they were they were they're contracting out of florida right so they weren't even making it anymore in lakeland yeah. and then now i mean the, the core stuff's back they had a bunch of issues mm-hmm. with that specific beer i guess i should have used a different example but yeah you know there was a bunch of other issues outside of that but just you know getting into these markets like why like why is off color going to send apex predator to i don't know like North Carolina or something, you know, which, which we do do. But, uh, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But, but, but it, I'm sure it can be challenging when mm-hmm. it's like now even talking to, uh, I talked to Nick over at forbidden root recently and he was talking about that area cause he's from that area. And he was like, now the breweries, like you were talking earlier, triple quadruple and how many breweries are in that area now it's like exploding. Mm-hmm. So it's like hard for guys to come from Chicago or from the West coast or the East coast and send beer down to North Carolina now and sell and, it. Unless your beer is still differentiated. Right. That well, yeah, that's another thing. Cause it's probably, they're usually like, well, what's our IPA that sells the most? Let's send that down there. You know, I, I, the, the world and the region does not need another fucking flagship IPA. Like you just, you just don't, we have enough breweries that all produce them. Like there, there's no reason to send it anywhere else, which is what's hurting the, the regionals is, they're all making a beer which is already well represented if not oversaturated in whatever exterior market they're trying to go to and often in their home markets as well um at least in your home market as a larger regional you would have the benefit of of years of marketing and and goodwill um but yeah i mean you look at something so many people are looking to try everything now too it's like they're moving through there's like there's no said loyalty i guess like not a lot of people are buying the same beer over and over again like the same person buying the same beer like you know your bud your bud guy and your miller guy you know now it's like i'm gonna try everything (laughs) and there's good and bad to that i mean uh the the fierce brand loyalty to a brand i mean that there's a i think it's a good thing that that is dissipated um and there should be more than three beers in (laughs) in the country uh but the sort of the Pokemon approach to I have to collect them all <laughs> is also, I think, equally like unhealthy. Because uh, if you want to try every beer, that, that's great. But it's hard to give attention to every beer that you're, you're consuming if the main goal is to click it off or tick it off of your list. Um, you know, if you go to a beer festival and you tick off 200 beers, what's the fucking point? Your palate is fried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so so you get to be like one of the ten thousand fucking raiders on, on rate beer. That mm-hmm. who Don't cares? Get me wrong. It feels yeah. cool. It feels cool when you're in the moment. And you're like, I'm gonna try everything. Like I went to for example. I have a lot of horrible ideas that I'm drunk too. <laughs> right. Like when I when I go to smell, I went to smells like a beer fest. Right. For example, mm-hmm. this year, and you're on overload because you're just looking at sixty breweries, and you're like, I might never get to try bearded iris or southern grist. I may never get to try civil society. I may never get to like. So you're doing this and it's like you know they're good beers but like are you really tasting mm-hmm. how good they really are or how bad they, you know how middle of the road they are whatever it is it was it's like a whirlwind in four hours you're trying to taste you know everybody's got two beers or you know <laughs> you're looking at 100 plus beers 200 beers including the ones microphones got on tap it's like mm-hmm. awesome but madness and not 
a sane way to judge beer. Like, mm-hmm. certainly don't go on Untapped and start, <laughs> you know, giving your opinion or like Ray Beer, beer advocate, start giving your opinion based on the stout that you had three hours in. But but you just have to put the star number on it, then it's fine. <laughs> That's what people do, man. It's a, yeah. The internet's a brutal place. It's a wonderful place because it does help and it gets people, you know, get your exposure and helps with marketing for small businesses that don't have money to go, you know, get ads and spots. But it's so brutal. Like, and one bad review can hurt people, like, really badly. But so it's something that I focus a lot on in this podcast, talking to people about. It's just, like, kind of be smart holster it yeah. if, you, if you need to there's a lot of a uh, group thing that goes on in that as well so mm-hmm. one person says one thing and nobody wants to disagree with them that's the world yeah. <laughs> there's a so. lot of uh, mob mentality and group think and all that stuff yeah. um now you see i feel like i lost the focus of, of the of the good stuff though so for you guys like you guys are in uh you guys are in the fuel museum i mean how does that how'd that relationship come about uh that's right because i like bees uh, <laughs> that's a good answer uh yeah so this i was honestly this hard back when i was a gi um but uh wanted to get beehives and our director of, of operations at one point was very much on records like anybody who has an idea you're welcome to pitch me a business plan with how it will work if you think it through then i'll i'll give every idea it's it's due I'm like cool i want to buy bees so i created this nice little plan for him uh with how much it would spend like what the ROI return on investment, what the ROI would be. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a good plan. Like I full PowerPoint, like full presentation, like full. It was bi- like a PowerPoint. Nice folder, there was like ex- a binder. There was a cell sheet. Really? Yeah. I mean, you, you look at how much it'll, you look at how much it'll cost, how much it will yield, what what you're currently paying for buying honey for somebody else, and then it, it's a relatively simple business plan. Um, He's like, yeah, I heard this is great. Like, but you have to find the money. I'm like, cool, no problem. And he, right. th- he thought he was just like... Just brush it off type thing? Like one of John's ideas, just brush him off. He'll go on to something else in like okay. three weeks. He'll be fine. Uh, so then it's like, well, you know, in innovation, we can't like, you know, obviously we, we sold our beer, but like it's not like that went back to our budget or anything like that. And we didn't have room in the budget to just spend, I think it was $7,500 to buy beehives or something. It was like, well, we have all these like used barrels. Like, what are we doing with all our used barrels? I was like, oh, we'll just go to this guy who like donates them to the Sierra Sierra Club, uh, and then uh, turns them into rain barrels, and it's great. It's like, cool. So I like looked into that. It's like, no, it's just this guy who then sells them and gets a portion of the proceeds. Wow. I don't know this guy. He could be really cool, but fuck that guy. Yeah, I want he's my bees. Flipping barrels, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you get them for free. You sell them for like two hundred dollars. It's more than we. We bought them for originally to drill sure. two holes in them, like, and then you give like five dollars to the Sierra Club for the for, like, goodwill. Like, no, no, we can do better than that. Um, so we, we did like a, like a barrel, a garage sale out of the barrel warehouse. Where we sold a bunch of old barrels. Uh, oh, okay. And we had people. It was, it was a really fun day. Uh, we had people like lined up at like six in the morning to buy used barrels. And one guy, a bunch of people tried to take them home on bikes. One guy tried to take one home on the L. What? Uh, it, was, it was nuts. Like full size. Yeah, Bourbon 53 barrel. gallon barrels. Um, wow, it was it was super fun. Somebody jammed theirs in the back of a Lexus and ruined their seats. Hell yeah! It's like, <laughs> cool. Like you caused six eight hundred dollars worth of damage to do your. Got to do, man. To, for a thirty dollar barrel, but cool. You do you. Uh, eventually, like, eventually, like we had a bunch of money sitting in an account somewhere. Uh, and then the director of ops is like, "What? What's all this money doing in this account? I'm like, oh, this is my B money." He's like, 
No, this no, is barrel not. money, not B money. No, this this is going to operational funds. You, you, you don't have a B account. So he took my Bs away from me. So now I quit Goose Island. That's um, bullshit. <laughs> but along the way, like met a bunch of beekeepers. And uh, one of the guys I met who is into beekeeping um, also worked uh, part-time at the Field Museum. Um, so the Field Museum has a bunch of programs they have for like visiting. Because... You know, there's a front-facing part of the Field Museum, which is, you know, the museum that children go to and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a very strong research institution. So a bunch of researchers from around the world will come in uh, because they have such a deep archive and do research there. So they have some social programming that they do in order to help these people make friends and, like, spend their time productively as opposed to just, like, cool, I'm in Chicago. I don't know anybody, and I'm here for, like, two months. Just going to study and yeah. not pay attention um, to anyone else. So we, we would start donating beer to, so they could just have a couple beers and chit chat about what it's doing. Cause I really love the idea of cross pollination where you have people from different disciplines all in the same room together, just talk about what they do. And all of a sudden you find common connections, common threads. Um, so got to know the few museum folks and the special events folks through there. Um, they eventually left GI went o- and started OC. Uh, and I don't know, a year into it, something like that. Like the few museums, like oh cool, like we're redoing how we do restaurants in the few museum. We're gonna have this bistro. Like we love to have a house beer, and we were one of the people that they called uh, to pitch ideas to them. And eventually, we we started making a, a tooth and cloth for them. So, so what year was that? You think you started doing that? Mm. I'm only asking because I'm trying to picture the landscape. 2015, maybe. I'm trying to picture the landscape in the industry. I guess like all the people they could have reached out to, and like just you built this relationship with them, and so they you guys were on on the front of the list like i'm gonna call john over there i know he likes bees like yeah. well, you know yep. it, that's crazy how this industry works and now you guys are so prominent like in that scope i think of when i walk into the field museum with, with my family like i think about off colors i'm like it's almost to the point where i'm like oh that's the off color dinosaur oh wait sorry that's their dinosaur that, that's that's <laughs> Seuss, who's her own beast right right oh. So she has her own throne throne room now. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's crazy. I haven't, I haven't met the new dinosaur Maximo yet, but we we have a small run of uh, to the club bottles with a new dinosaur on it. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, that's cool. No, it's just a cool thing to to be a part of. Like, I mean, is Chicago important to you? I mean, it, oh, is sure. It just is it and always been home, like the area and all mm-hmm. that, or okay? Absolutely, and it's it's we're, we're very proud to be from Chicago and you know lived here and going to keep living here and kind of stuck here no matter what. Um, but definitely love it here, and you know, we really enjoy working with other uh, Chicago cultural institutions um, as a way to sort of grow the city as a whole, um, which is just a nice thing to do. Because I mean, the city is just a collection of people all doing their own thing, and that's that's how culture develops. Um, what did you pour, by the way? In the middle of this conversation, you cracked a bottle open. It doesn't look like it had a label on it. Uh, this is Ghost Summons. This is our uh, collab with Allagash. Allagash, yeah. so that's on the menu right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really oh, wow. good. How, what was the ABV on this? Like three something? Uh, or is it higher? Five, low fives, okay. maybe five two, something like that. Like, uh, I'm terrible at tasting and talking about beer. Like, I'm really bad with describing. You know, I'm usually that guy that like I get, I end up following what somebody. You know, I, you should be getting this, and then my brain goes, mm-hmm. oh yeah, now I'm getting it. You know, that kind of thing. Oh sure. If I look at your menu, I'll be like, oh, so yeah, there's coriander, there's lemon. You know, the name of it obviously has mm-hmm. lemon in it. Like, yeah, Joe, there's fucking lemon in it because <laughs> it says so in the name. But it's just super, li- just light and like it just. Mm-hmm. Awesome I mean, to drink. This is basically Allagash White, but fermented with different yeast and obviously different fruits added to it. Or at least what 
what I thought Allagash Whitewoods looked like, and they didn't correct me too much. Yeah. So okay, they well, they could be completely lying, but I, I have no idea. I love the way you 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 spoke on that because it sounds so like casual, like you know, it's just Allagash White with a little bit of this, but that process on the uh, the yeast and all that stuff can change so many mm-hmm. things with just a tiny tweak right i mean is am i wrong about that like that's why we're a fermentation focused brewing right it's, that's it's why that makes sense so incredible like what can change sure. in just a little the difference between a pilsner beer like and uh, a triple the malt bills are almost identical <laughs> uh it's just yeast and sugar is the, the, the only real difference between the Blows two my mind yeah. every time i hear things like that like this process, because I've heard brewers tell me how simple this process is, and I've heard brewers tell me how overly complicated this process is, and it's, I'm sure it's somewhere in the, in the middle. <laughs> it's, I mean, the biochemistry is extremely complicated. The process is extremely simple. So <laughs> I can do a brewery tour in about six seconds. So yeah. we put the things in there, and then we take it out of there, and we put it over there, and then it comes out of there, it goes to that thing, mm-hmm. cools down, and it goes in there. It's hot there, it's cold there, but you know. <laughs> yeah, when, when like the fucking delivery truck drivers show up, like I'm not going to spend 20 minutes explaining you know how, how yeast converts uh, uh sucrose uh into simpler sugar why not yeah because they don't care i'm looking up and i see clubber in front of me any any uh fun stories behind uh tanks and stuff back here uh all the tanks at dickens are named after our dead pets okay um so clubber was our our head brewer over at dickens uh was that was one of his dogs i believe um that thing came over from dickens pepper is right behind me uh, we haven't named the tanks over here yet. Uh, the only tank that we've named over here is uh, uh, Bitches, which is the right tank, because okay. Bitches, the cat, was near and dear to our hearts. Uh, she was a wonderful internet cat. She was uh, blocked by Donald Trump very early on, <laughs> before it was cool to be dro- uh, blocked before by Donald Trump. Before it was cool Trump. to be blocked by Donald Trump. He has not unblocked her yet, despite the uh, the lawsuit. Hopefully uh, they'll uh, update that down the road. Yeah. When they hear she more ran for president that. once, too. See? Well, she didn't run. She, well, she napped for president. Won. Why not? Why yeah. not? Why not? Um, a story that I'm interested from the out, uh, outside looking in, like I, I told you before we started, like I don't script anything, but definitely it's been on my mind to ask you this mm-hmm. whole time. What's the story behind behind Eek and, and why, you know, why like, hey, it's a Miller collab, right? Like mm-hmm. you technically. With it, it's 100%. It's a collab, collaboration with Miller Brewing Company. Um, uh, there's a couple ideas we were expressing in that one. One, like I unabashedly love High Life. It's one of, one of whenever... I get roped into those, like, what are your favorite beers for the summer? Bullshit list. Um, oh, you don't like those? Oh, no, they're great. <laughs> they're they're a really great way to grow the category. Very informative. Um, yeah. Um, you can write them in. I love High Life, yeah. too, man. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, most brewers at the end of the day, like, I, we think about beer all day long. From the time we wake up, go to work for 10 hours, have a couple beers, go home. You're thinking about beer all day long. Um criticizing it you're, you're looking for nuances you're trying to make it better you're trying to do incremental progression you're trying to learn something new uh you're looking at sourcing you're all you think about and at the end of your shift sometimes you just want something cold that you don't have to think about anymore <laughs> and how is one of those wonderful things where it's like it's cold it's perfect i don't want to think about it uh, it's just that is a really refreshing quality when you're worried about the nuance between like oh is this too much oak this is not quite enough oak um, are these the right blends of organic acids in here? Like, what if I blend a little bit more of this into this thing? Then will that deeper acid then pop up some of this more cherry character? You don't have to think for that anymore. You just, you just have a beer. Champagne yeah. and beer is coming at you. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful thing when you're when it's 95 degrees at a beer festival and you have to be there for six hours talking to people. Yes. It's hard to drink 10% imperial stouts. Um, you want something just 
wet, simple, cold. cold. Uh, there's, there's a place for all this. I mean, beer is a very wide spectrum. Uh, everything doesn't have to be the best beer you've ever had. Um, when things are always trying to be the best beer you've had, ever had, usually you can have some pretty shitty beers as a result. Um, there's also something to be said for technical perfection. Um, you know, Miller is very, very good, as is AB. They're very, very good at making their beer the same way, with over different raw ingredients over and over, and over, over again, again, in a way that I can't, as an artisan, create the same, uh, create our beer uh, as well, time over time, with repeatability, as they can, by any stretch. Um, so it's, there's something that, you know, we as brewers, we, we as professionals admire about that as well. Um, so we approached them. I, I've known their corporate offices, Miller Coors corporate offices from Chicago. So I've known a bunch of them for a while. Um, and just sort of pitched this idea when we were all drinking out one day. Like, hey, we should do a collab together. It'd be really funny. And I think it'd be actually think, important. Did you think anything would come oh, out yeah, of that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I knew it was going to happen. Oh, nice. Was, I like that. There's some faith involved. I was thinking you were going to be like, It, no, took, it took several years. Um, probably took two, two and a half years from the time we first pitched the idea uh, to when it finally got accepted. But, you know, we, we pitched the idea and uh, some of the Miller folks would like run with it and kick up the ladder and get past a couple of middle managers. And then eventually so one of the middle managers would be like, what, what are you fucking kidding me? Like, we're not doing like, that. Off, yeah. who, off what? what? Huh? We're going to we're going to screw up our beer, <laughs> ruin our branding with with one of these with one of these craft brewers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then they go into hiatus, and then you know, six months later, that person would be you know fired or promoted or move laterally or or whatever. You pitch the idea and go up, get past that rung, go up a couple rungs higher, and eventually you got all the way up. Now, granted, like we've been rejected easily eight times, if not more than that, um, to the point where even my people like that work for us were like, "John, you just got to let it go. Let it's it not die, gonna like, it's, it it's gonna happen." Um, and it, it eventually happened. Uh, so that, that was part part of the idea was craft beer has since the eighties really defined itself as not big beer. Like that's been a resounding marketing message. Yeah. We are something different than big beer. We are we're better. We're more nuanced. More interesting. Yada yada yada. Cooler. We're, we're not that. That is bad. Um, it's like well you know that was important then and I. No bones about it. Like AB was really shitty to brewers back when like Anchor was coming up and Sierra Nevada was coming up. It was it was uh, trench warfare um, for for placements for those guys, and they were really shitty about it. Um, but how long are you gonna hold that grudge, and how long are you gonna have that be your primary marketing message as the Brewers Association or as as craft beer? Um, like one of our things, we don't like to define anything that we do as not something else. If the first words out of your mouths are cool well it's like or it's not you're already talking about something else and that's like or how not like yeah. yeah that's how you're defining yourself is like you're the a airbnb or whatever <laughs> like cool so like we're the craigslist of beer yeah we're, we're talking about something else and that's the first words out of your mouth like it's just it's just poor marketing um and forever craft beer just did that like we are not big beer and it's like well you know what that has time and place i think we can grow past this i think we as an industry can get past like the sins of, of AB in the eighties and the nineties, different um, landscape, different landscape. Um, and just figure out a way to all live together and, and, and whatnot. Um, so that was part of it. Um, was making that political, political statement. Um, part of it was, you know, this is a technically perfect beer that we love and it's very dear to our hearts. Um, to be fun, just to work with them on, on that sort of technical level. Um, 
Miller has, has been really good to us for, for a number of years. They've helped us with a bunch of really high-end technical issues. Like we made a, a beer with field museum called Wari, uh, which is a, a recreation of a historical version of a chicha, which is a corn-based indigenous beverage uh, of Central America. I'm glad you went further on that because I had no idea what you were talking yeah. about. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we, we use a purple corn that we, import, we had to import from Peru because nobody in the U.S. sells it because uh, it's a heritage varietal. Uh, but it dyes the beer pink, and it's a really gorgeous color. Uh, we want to show it off, so we want to put it in clear glass bottles as opposed to putting it in brown. In that case, you know, hops will skunk when they're opposed to sunlight. Uh, brown bottles will block most of those rays relatively okay, but clear gives you zero protection. But we want to put it in that. There's no hopping to the beer, but we have to add some hops. Um, so we wanted to use an advanced hop product called Tetra, which is like a super critical CO2 extract, uh, but it's light stable. And that's what they use in Miller High Life, okay. so they put it in clear light glass stable. bottles because it's light stable hops. So it doesn't will never skunk. It doesn't skunk out. Uh, so we reach out to them, um, just like, hey, like you guys use this? Do you have like, can you teach us how to use this stuff at all? Like, we're, we're these little crappers. We're, we're using pellets and shit. Uh, uh. And they were they were extremely nice enough. We got a bunch of white papers from them, which are like research papers of of how to use uh, some of these materials. Uh, Sent us like a bunch of like more practical information, like. Uh, you know, yeast themselves after fermentation when they crash out will hold a lot of uh, oversimplifying this grossly, but they'll That's hold right. a lot of like hop compounds need it. on their outside of, outside of their cell walls. So if you repitch from a tank which uses regular hops into a tank and you just use it's called Tetra, but the okay. light stable hop extract, uh, there's enough of the hop residue from the previous batch on the yeast that your beer can still skunk. So like you have to make sure that you know. For, for generations, you have like no cross contamination uh, of. Yeah. So, like a bunch of like high end technical stuff for a no name brewery making, you know, I think we probably made 20 barrels uh, of ancient Peruvian chicha for a museum. Wow. But they were nice enough to Don't worry, guys. We share got their <laughs> yeah share their information with us. Um, so, this whole idea of like, you know, David Goliath or like Big Bad Beer coming in, like the Big Bad Wolf blowing our house down, it's like, well, they they showed us how to how to use the tetras. Um, I kind of like those guys. They were really nice. Yeah, like you have to be uh, like you have to be apologetic about yeah, enjoying maybe, the, the yeah, fact that they maybe this you whole worldview that we've been spoon fed is not as accurate anymore as it, as it maybe used to be. Where's all the free thinkers at? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you know, you brought Tom up earlier. Tom opened my eyes to a different part of that same kind of vein. Whereas he, you know, he came from. Budweiser and he just spoke glowingly of working in the pilot facility mm -hmm. with 21 like young and up and coming guys and girls that want like Mary Bauer was part of that oh, too sure. over at Lagunitas and and he just spoke glowingly of his experience there in the pilot breweries was like you got to turn the valves and you got to carry the hoses and you got to dump and clean and do all this stuff and then he's like and I went to the big facility and it was like laborers and contractors and you're not allowed to touch anything yeah. you know so it was cool to hear somebody not just be like fuck abv or ab you know fuck all that yeah. mbev stuff like you know he was like no man my experience was great there i learned so much you know i brought it and True. now it's almost like goose is getting that now whereas goose you know 10 years ago would have been considered a cool thing now it's like oh goose yeah sell out mbev all that so I know it's good to hear both sides of the story rather yeah, than I mean, just the negative. Throughout the the mid nineties to mid two thousands, like that was the craft's dirty little secret is most of the more well regarded brands all had A B people. 
I mean, Mitch Steele at Stone was was a uh, AB Brewmaster, Dan Carey at New Glarus, uh, Florian down at Urban Chestnut. Uh, there's a bunch of people that work for AB because that's if you want to run a hundred thousand barrel brewery, trust me, you don't learn how to do that by having a ten thousand barrel brewery and just incrementally stepping up. And all those people you just named, I mean, just fantastic as brewers, good as yeah. can be. Yeah. I mean, shit, Mitch, you know, mm-hmm. he speaks for himself. They all do New Glarus. Yeah. I mean. I, I know so many people who don't, I don't like beer, but as, as soon as they cross that border to Wisconsin, man, they're looking for anything New Glarus has to offer them, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, whatever they're doing up there. I mean, these are some high level people you're, you're associating with this thought process. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's hard to clean up and educate and get that thinking changed, but you know, yeah, you do your small parts and eventually it happens. Yeah. You just, it's, a, it's a process, I guess, huh? Yeah. It's a, it's a process, but, uh, off color, like what? What else? I mean, what else? Are you guys, what else you guys got coming up? Like, I mean, you guys are doing. I always, I'm always interested in dinosaurs because it feels like it's outside your norm, and mm-hmm. you know, for me, I love that. It's tasty. It can be. My wife loves it. You know, it's a, that's a big beer for her. My mother-in-law loves it. You know, like they, it's such a different thing than what I'm used to seeing in an off-color bottle. So that th- that it's definitely an outlier in in the beers that we make. Um, originally, we made that. Uh, in collaboration with the little time brewery. Uh, I don't know how small they are anymore, but at that point they were a very small brewery um, just outside of Copenhagen called Ama. Uh, it looks like it would be pronounced Amager, um, but from how it's spelled, but it's actually pronounced Ama. Uh, it's named after the island that they're on. Um, but Chicago's always had this weird relationship, a uh, very tight relationship with uh, Copenhagen and with Denmark as a whole. Um, again, because we've always had great distribution. Uh, so early on, like we had people was like he was very influential we had people uh from shelton brothers uh that lived here and worked here um so always been very tight back and forth um so we were out there i don't know years ago uh i'm like oh let's make some dumb beer that none of us actually want to make it's gonna be really obnoxious it'd be really funny because nobody like, will hear about it it's this, this this really just obnoxious beer that uh will be, be really hard to make like, this will be really funny. I'll, I'll pull one over on these guys. We made it out there, and the beer turned out really well. Um, so, yeah, it was like, I'm like, in Denmark, do you have s'mores? Like, yes, yes, John, we, yeah. we have s'mores. Yeah, dude. Like, we have cats. <laughs> we have s'mores. Like, we're not, like, some, like, weird, like, out there country. We're fucking Denmark. Like, we've heard of, we, we, we have scarves. That's, like, our main national export. Like, fine. Um I don't. I think. I think ham's actually one of their bigger <laughs> exports. But whatever. That, there you that go. Doesn't matter. Um, so designed this like really obnoxious beer to make. Like very like too many additions to it. Like sticky, hard to use ingredients. It's not you. Um, not you. Not you. Yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a joke amongst friends. Uh, and then they they made it out there. We were out there. Uh, and they made it with them. Um, and eventually, like got some bottles back here in Chicago. You know, months and months later. Uh, in Scandinavia, uh, their stouts are very different than U.S. stouts. They are, tend to be much more roasty. They tend to have an acrid quality, which is like a almost like a burnt roast character, like a really like like when your toast is like just starting to burn, mm-hmm. be a little acrid, um, and much much drier than than we make beers here in the U.S. At least RISs here in the U.S. Um, and they they made in that style like the use of the use attenuate a lot more. Uh, they eat more sugar, so it's higher in alcohol and lower in, in residual sweetness and body. Uh, I sent it over and the beer was great, but it's like, this is not like the beer, like the idea that I had in my head. Um, so like, fine, we'll make like a batch of it just so I can get the idea I got in my head and like, 
and we made the first batch of dinosaurs and so so on people in loved US it. soil you you yeah. made that batch yeah. you were like okay and in the more american style which is how i originally written the recipe you just had to get it out yeah like you just had mm-hmm. yeah this has got to get out of me so you brewed that so we brewed that and people loved it and next year we made a little bit more and now we now we make now we make a fair amount of it i think we do like also vanilla beans are much more expensive i think we spent something ridiculous Lord, like yeah sixteen thousand dollars is something ludicrous like that of vanilla beans this year so when you're making that are you making it i mean are you still in the brewing process a lot or you just got too much other thing i'm I'm full-time over here at the tap room um so i'm the the only brewer that actually is dedicated to here um so our 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 dickens production staff run the show over there Um, i don't set foot in that building very often uh dave my partner is based out of there i'm based out of here okay um so divide and conquer so i mean do, do you like brewing do you like that they're doing that beer still did you or is it kind of like we'll oh, keep sure. doing I mean, it's, it it's, like it's fine i'll keep doing it like, it's not a, it's not my favorite beer that we make right. um but that's not the type of the beers that i personally tend to drink um i think the beer's really nice we've we've played around with it a few times over the years just use different vanilla beans and always trying to make the beer better year after year a um, coffee one too every once in a while mm-hmm. too right yeah, do coffee some... once a year and I, I love coffee coffee is really my first love yeah um so if i, if I had to get a beer or coffee like you're giving I, I, need, I need coffee um i had some of the dark matter when i was sitting there today mm-hmm. it's it's, it's a, i love those guys it's wonderful they're, they're, that's another angle in the podcast i've been trying to work yeah. on. i want to i want to get dark matter and like maybe like tugboat or something to come on together and kind of just talk about that that relationship sure it's, it's interesting uh how coffee folk relate to each other um because for a long time and still to this day, like they have like, it's like, this is like the shop. Like this is your shop. Like I sell you coffee. You don't buy coffee from anybody else. Um, and that's, that's how coffee was for a long time. And it's, it's starting to, I think, get past that here. Like here we rotate roasters through our, uh, with coffee dinosaurs, we are very intentional when changing roaster year after year. Oh, okay. Um, because there, there's a lot of great roasters out there and it's nice that people can a work together um, and B, every time you work with new people, you learn something new. Like, you, either it's who they are and, and what they're doing. You learn different techniques. Um, you learn different bits about small business. There's always something you learn. It's in, and it's great to make those relationships. Um, so we rotate coffee here at the bar. We rotate coffee year after year in Coffee Dino. Um, what we haven't started doing, and kind of want to do, is like have the roaster we're working with pick the next roaster. But that might be get a little incestuous. Yeah. Anyways, this, this idea I've sort of been kicking around. Um, but now that, you know, coffee's matured a lot, um, and it's not just, you know, it used to be Intelligentsia here in Chicago, and that was kind of it. Uh, now Intelligentsia is owned by Pete's, I believe. Okay. They're owned by a larger coffee group. Uh, a lot of those great roasters that worked through Intelli now have their own roasteries around Chicago. There's uh, a lot of them now. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting mm-hmm. industry, and sure, for sure. a lot of good shit, especially in this area too. I think Glassworks was one I ran into recently. Uh, Abacus, I think. Yeah, there's uh, so many now that I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. yeah, Glassworks was part of like Ailman Fest or something recently, and they were they really good beans. Man, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, cool. I'm not a coffee judge or anything, mm-hmm. but they they were delicious to me in a cold brew. So, I, I mean, I I already taken more than an hour of your time, so I don't know if you got stuff to do. Unless you want to talk for a couple more minutes, I, I, I can do a few more minutes. Pl- but yeah, it, is, more. it is like six thirty. Right. So. You got business to take care of. I get that. Um, so, like, do you guys have any, you know, big bottle release? Like, what's a big bottle release for you guys? Like, what do you get excited about? Like the mixed culture stuff. The, I mean, 
or is it just like you don't get involved in that stuff? It's like if they want marketing wants to do that, they can do a big bottle release. Oh, the, we're not we're not that big. I'm I'm involved in all those steps. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, we're gonna see more of it over the summer because all of our fooders are c- coming to fruition finally. Those are beautiful, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> Here we have uh, five fifty-eight hectoliter, fifteen-year-old Barolo casks. Uh, a cask versus a fooder is it's it's a trite point. Uh, in Italy, when they're ho- sword horizontal, they're considered still a cask as opposed to a fooder. Really? A fooder would then be a horizontal or a vertical as opposed to a horizontal uh, wooden vessel. I did not know um, that. In France, it's an interchangeable term. Okay. In the U.S., everyone just calls everything fooders. Um, so oh, yeah. I can, Absolutely. I can, I, I can die on that hill of these are casts as a fooder, but that is not the hill I'm going to die on. Uh, it's just not worth it, John. Yeah. Uh, so we have f- 558 hex uh, are the Barolo wine casks. Um, and then we have one 34 hectoliter, 14 year old Calvados cask. Um, and they're, they're all getting to be ready. Um, uh, so we'll be using those over the summer, early fall. Um, we don't like, we do bottle releases. Um, we do a reservation system f- for most releases. So instead of having people like line up down the street for hours, which avoid is, the madness. So just waste everybody's time. Um, but it's cool. It gets you on the news, John. Yeah. You can get on the news. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? But, uh, <laughs> then the hype is that you have a long line instead of about the beer. Um, so anyways, we do reservations. So like a week or two before, you get, for, for a dollar that we all donate to charity, then you get, you get to come between, you know, you get to pay an hour time slot and you can show up anytime and then just walk through a much shorter line. And Beautiful. You get to wait for maybe 10 minutes as opposed to having to wait for three hours and, and all that. Um, for us, it works well. It's it's a more relaxed, more laid back, relaxed atmosphere. Uh, we've done like the come set in line. Sorry, it's gonna be a pain in the ass process when we have for for the extremely popular releases. We've we've done that a few times, just because instead of having being able to get through like hundred people through an hour, you can get through two hundred people, and so we're not working like twelve hour days yeah. just selling beer all day long. Like, you can be more efficient sometimes by doing that, but it kind of sucks too. So we don't like doing that. Um, especially in the winter, like it's cold in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Like you're gonna make people line up when it's you know ten degrees outside and be out there for like six hours. Apparently, That's beer people don't care. They just don't care. They're like, That's fine. I have tents and uh, yeah, <laughs> anything else. Hey, more proud to you. Other Crazy. people like to tailgate. I, yep. I don't tailgate. Yeah. So bottle share, bro. Yep. A lot of bottle sharing happening in these lines nowadays. Yeah. That gets a little dicey too. So <laughs> I just always you know curious. Was, you know some brewer in some breweries build on that and some breweries are like nah we, uh, we'd rather just do it online and let you kind of casually come in and get you know enjoy some beers at the mousetrap and you know talk to some neighbors and mm-hmm. and rather than worry about am i going to get one or am i not going to get one and you know we just try to make it easy yeah. uh, easy and relaxed so just like what do you what would you want to do if you were in that position right you'd, yeah. you'd want to be able to walk in and take it easy and I mean, for, for years though like before uh, i was bringing professionally like uh i just go in madison and great taste midwest is always important um, for years and it may still be, uh, it was the best beer vessel in the U S like no, that was hands down the best one. Uh, there's a couple other really good ones now, but for years I, that was like the one, uh, and you have to go and, well, it used to be like, you could get like tickets, like without that much of a hassle, but then it got more and more popular. Uh, they don't grow the attendance level anymore. Um, so it's more more people every year want to go and it's just it's it raffles, keep it basically yeah, yeah it's raffled basically uh but you 
you can go to a few spots around uh, Madison and they release tickets and like you can like wait in line and try to get tickets that way. Oh, okay. Um, and back when like there's a lot fewer beer people as a whole, um, one reason like Madison and Chicago got very tight is Chicago people would come up and you know Madison beer was thirty people deep. Uh, Chicago was maybe eighty people deep. Like it, there wasn't that many people. It's who, hilarious like, to think about right yeah. now. Yes. I mean, less breweries than we have now or like people that were like into it and like going out and like doing doing beer stuff um so like chocolates would come up and like, we'd all like hang out and get to know each other standing in line but you start waiting in line at like 6 a.m so you stay out drinking the night before everyone would get like three hours of sleep and you'd meet back up at like 6 a.m then you had to start like being in line at like 4 a.m oh, eventually it's sort of like cool like you, you get in line at like midnight then it started being like you get in line at like 8 p.m the day before, day I'm, like, before I'm like right. no just just no like i'm out yeah i'm out at that point like it. i'm 30 plus i'm I'm not waiting in line like for fucking overnight i got children at home yeah. i can't be waiting in line overnight mm-hmm. <laughs> my wife likes beer she doesn't like it that much yeah <laughs> but it made a lot a lot of great almost lifelong relationships uh waiting in line with with some folks back in the day um folks who are still some of my best friends here in chicago uh, so it is important you build community that way um and you know if a lot of beer is done over the internet, so it's a good chance to actually meet people in person. Um, so I'm not, not begrudging against them, not like railing against just saying a line as a whole. Um, but there are better ways to spend your time sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've on a smaller scale, I've built built friendships with people I still go and hang out with that I met in beer lines too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's much smaller scale, much less breadth of time, you know, being friends with these people. But I mean, yeah, I've, I've built them too, just being in line. But there's a there's a line, I guess. There's a line to be drawn there, yeah. there where it's like, okay, this is enough. This is enough of that. Yeah. Um, it, it, another thing, uh, now I'll give uh, a shout out to, uh, I think it was Mike over at uh, porchdrinking.com. I think he had an interview with you a couple years back, and I happened to read through it a couple months back. And I was interested in uh, the story that he told, or you told, uh, about the, n- the naming process of Off Color. Because didn't you like, kind of start with a different name or something, kind of keep well, off the scent? Oh, that, that aspect of it. Okay. Um, yeah, our corporate name is, is something different. Um, so all of our paperwork and all that you know, is under our corporate name, and we have a DBA, and we do biz- DBAs do business as. We do business as off-color brewing. Um, but, you know, like we like to be in charge of our own story, and th- there's a lot of, of very, I don't know, persistent is the right word, but... Uh, <laughs> News, news folk. Who, media who, type. Media type. Um, who, like, their, their thing is, like, breaking the story. They all, they want to get to it first. So they look at, uh, like, f- uh, they look at trademark filings. They look at business license filings they and all dig, that. They dig. They dig. They okay. dig. Okay. You know, can't, can't fault them for it because uh, they want to be there first, and they're, they're putting the legwork in. So, you know, more power to them. But we want, we want to be in charge of our own story, I suppose, one of the things I hate is when breweries, they do it less now because there's so many of them, but breweries would announce like, we're opening. And everyone gets like really excited. And then nine months go by. You're like, cool. Like what's, what's going on there? Like, oh no, we're opening. It'll, it's going to happen. Guys. It's going to happen. It's like the High Life uh, collab. It's going to yeah. happen, guys. We know it. Opening a brewery takes a long time. And a lot of work. And a lot of work. Um, and if you go to, I think if you go to press too early, you lose all the momentum, all the excitement. Instead of being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Three months later, oh my god, there's beer. This is really cool. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh wait, that's still, that's still 
I, I didn't think that was going to happen. Are they ever open in that place? Yeah. Like I heard, the, uh, you know, this town is getting a brewery, but yeah. I haven't heard any update on it. Yeah, and with new like cycles said, being so later. short and all that, it's just... Our attention spans yeah. also matching that. Yeah. yeah. Now, you look at some other products that when they get announced, they're intentionally announced super early because they're still trying to raise fucking money. So it looks great when they're going to pitch yeah. to investors to raise the money to actually build something when they have an article in whatever daily about how, how this how big this project is, how amazing this project is going to be right there on the river or whatever. It's like, well, like you don't have funding. Here's the like, mock-ups. Yeah. Like, exactly. How it's pretty like, it's going to look. There should be more to a story than here are some mock-ups that somebody showed me. Like, dude, you're getting played. That seems like good foresight by you guys, though. I mean, something that maybe not everybody's thinking about or like some people are probably just so overexcited that they're yeah. like, we're doing this. I bought the space or I'm buying the space or I'm leasing. I'm yeah, but that's, that's like, what your friends are for. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, blow that off on yeah. them. Like, dude, this is yeah. going to be great. You know, oh, sure. I, I, was, I was ecstatic when we got our first business loan. I mean, that was the like, is this going to happen? Or is this not going to happen? Got a business loan. The biggest thing that happened to off color was getting that first business loan. Yeah. So that turned it into a reality. But you, you don't call the Tribune and tell somebody you got a business loan. It's like, oh, cool. So in... So yeah, <laughs> eighteen months will be open. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, so we did everything under our our, our corporate name because um, that helped have a layer of insulation. Um, so like, even if if people were to look at uh, you know business licensing and all that, like it, the name doesn't on its face nothing, doesn't look right? like uh, yeah Shell Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, you figured it out. <laughs> it's called ShellCorporation.com. You got it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's 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 a cool story to me. I don't know. I just don't think that a lot. Not everybody has that kind mm -hmm. of forward thinking to be like, hey, you know, this could save us a couple of headaches. Or, it's, or it, again, it's just storytelling. Or amplify the boom when you do finally open yeah. the doors. You know, that it's it's cool. Uh, now, build out wise, when you guys started this, like, what was that? Were you playing general contractor, or did you have a, a loan enough to like? just kind of tell them what you want and it got done i mean <laughs> you know you get so many stories of like i built every table you know yeah no 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 uh the first brewery we were, were much more hands-on on we we have a general contractor he's built a lot of breweries here in chicago um he built our first one he built our second one he's gotten a lot better over the years at, at building breweries as well okay oh, much much very much so because you know building breweries is a very specialized niche part of it you can't just hire any general contractor and expect them to understand like how important it is to have sloped floors and what what type of slope do you actually need? Uh, difference between, because you can slope a floor for water, uh, which is what, 0.25 inches per foot, um, will get water to drain where you want it to go. Uh, like one of, one of the things that improved over the first brewery is, you know, they would, all the trench drains, they would slope for water drainage, 0.25, uh, but it's not steep enough that the water will take like little bits of grain bits and whatever coming off the mash ton. Those will hang out. Those just hang out because it's not steep enough to carry them with it. So that at the end of every day, you have well, to just you walk by and just spray it down with the hose. Not a big deal, but you do that every day. All of a sudden, you've done that, you know, 3,000 times. A year's worth of that yeah. turns into how many hours? Versus efficiency. Oh, I just told a guy to go instead of that to go slightly higher and do like 0.4 inches per foot. Boom. Um, it's like, oh, through engineering, we can solve little tiny tedious hassles. Uh, so he's gotten better with stuff like that because when you build 15 breweries, you learn those little tricks over the way. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, we have really nice, uh, called Stone Hard. It's a, a poly concrete 
urethane, some fancy whatever the fuck. Yeah, Jesus, um, that, coating over the top. <laughs> Epoxy, of, I don't know. I don't know. It's basically it a chemical resistant coating over our floors here, which is all the gray stuff when you're looking at the floors here. The first brew is just bare concrete because we had no money then. It's old school um, concrete. And you know, it's great because it's, it's resistant to chemicals. So like when we're, when you, it's called passivation, what you run a really yep. strong acid through a stainless tank in order to basically clean it down to the bare stainless, uh, which then through the impregnation with, with oxygen forms a, a oxide layer, which is harder and easier to clean and more durable than the actual stainless steel itself. <laughs> that acid is really strong when it drips on the bare concrete. Uh, it digs a hole. It just pits it. Does almost some instantly. damage. Um, so you have to like put down cardboard, which you spare with water for. It's just there was ways around it, but it's a pain in the ass. It's like, oh, we have some money now. Like we're we're in a much better financial state right. than we were when we first started. Splurging. Uh, put put the fancy coating down, uh, but it's then like you can't just like drag pallets and stuff all over it because when you scratch the forty thousand dollar floor coating, I care a lot more than when it's just concrete and who the fuck cares. Uh, so. We're still learning those little tidbits over time. It's like, I don't know. I put it everywhere, but maybe I shouldn't have put it everywhere because right. I kept some just base concrete. Yeah, somewhere. now I just get mad whenever like the palgus dropped off and you'd scrape it over the, the fucking forty thousand foot or dollar fl- uh, floor coating. You don't uh, so. put pictures up of the people who scrape it up. It's like shame, wall of shame. No, we we don't run our business through oh, shame, unfortunately. <laughs> that's a damn shame. Yeah. Oof, <laughs> oof. No, that's yeah. A, it's a, yeah. It's it's something that you know. Again, you don't think about. It. Like, yeah. And again, the, the passivation stuff, uh, it's something that I've had to ask before because it's been brought up to me. Guys get new tanks or something, and, they, uh, and they'll and they you know, say, that I'm running the passivation, of course, instantly. I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Basically, you know, kind of sealing in all the goodness of the interior of those tanks, I guess, huh? It's just making them cleanable. Yeah. I'll um, give you one more half a beer, and then I got to hey, actually get back to work. I'm cool, so, man. You you yeah. can definitely, like, we, we've we've done over an hour and 35 minutes here. So yeah, you I, wanna, will, cool. I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, you want to call it right now? We can call it right now. I don't care. Uh, is there anything you want to leave the people with on Off Color before we sign off? I mean. Uh, I think we've covered a, covered a fair amount. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's nice to talk about the reason why we do stuff. Um it was easy to lose that on when it's just another beer on the shelf. Uh, uh, other little tidbits. Uh, we have no plans on canning, despite everyone's protestation <laughs> otherwise. The we, fir- you're probably the first person I haven't asked that question yeah. to. You know? if, uh, we've, we are the last brand in bottles. It will be a very differentiated product. Um, yeah, it'll, be, it'll play just, right into your hands. Yeah. <laughs> I just I like the aesthetics of a bottle. I, I, I know it's a kind of a dumb thing. It's kind of a purist thing. Um, I have very technical reasons why... Uh, why we don't can as well, but the heart of it is still, I just like the aesthetics. Um, I think it's an aesthetical choice. Um, there, there are also beers that, you know, we do, which are much higher in volumes of carbon dioxide or carbonation that would make cans basically blow up because yeah. um, they're not strong enough, but there are ways around that as well. Uh, but ultimately, I just like how it looks. I'd like what it, what that package conveys. It's very honest so. in you. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, we're like, like oh my god! Looks. Like we love your website. Like we just tell people what happens. That's <laughs> really it. Like the label for for Go Southern Street Alkash Club talks about the the guy who showed up in the church van. We bought, bought citrus fruit from him in the parking lot. Like, <laughs> well, you you know, you, uh, it's a theme from the beginning of the podcast to now. I mean, it's the, the, the artwork tells stories. The place itself seems mm-hmm. to be fitting of that. Everything from the tiles leading into the bathroom and the way the menu board is set up. And I mean, what is that? Are those magnets? What is that? What, magnets. What? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, 
what you guys are doing to me is just unique. It's it's. I'm not saying hey, it's better or worse than anyone else. It's just it it's just you is guys. What it is, yeah. It's it's you guys, and I think it's. I mean, does that trickle down from you? And uh, is it Dave? Da- mm. Dave, Dave, uh, yeah. Dave the was from guy. two brothers at some point, mm. right? And you yep. were at Goose when he Correct. was at two. Oh, two brothers. Okay, so I think uh, Dave's business card is still read the other guy. By the way, what's that? I think Dave's business card is actually still read the other guy. The other guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, th- does this kind of trickle down from you guys? Like this place? I mean, is it kind of a reflection of you guys, or is it just another space? I mean, I mean, it's, it's a reflection of. of of us as a whole, um, all the, the people that work for us, we have really strong people that work for and with us. Um, you know, I've, I've a lot of my very good friends that work for us. Um, I mean, is there some top-down leadership for sure? Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like people have lots of ideas, but things get decided on. Uh, but we have a lot of people who have a lot of creative and intellectual freedom to do what they kind of want to do and as long as it's fitting within some general parameters that we, that we have corporately set everything's great so so who's going to be the first person on the staff that listens to this and says can we buy bees oh people have already tried to buy bees <laughs> yes. here uh, the issue with with having bees on the roof uh is dealing with people on the patio being afraid of bees mm, that could be a problem it could be dangerous for the bees themselves we're not a we're not a real tough society anymore. Also, <laughs> right across the river from us, which is also why we don't have a cool ship, that's also a very common question because uh, we do do for my, like wild and alternative fermentation stuff. Is why we do spontaneous beer. Uh, when I was at Goose, uh, we had a garbage transportation just north of us, right across the alley. And right across the river from here at the Mousetrap is another garbage transfer station because apparently I only know how to build breweries what by is fucking garbage here? transfer stations. How great would that be if you guys had a cool ship? I though? could definitely make sour beer. I don't know if I would make. Uh, I don't know if I would make aesthetically pleasing beer with acidity. Um, sour beer versus beer with acidity is is one of those hills I will die on. Yeah, yeah, that would have to. You would have to really give that to me, it's, like in a like a, a paper yeah. and a synopsis and a presentation. You should have been here for a staff training. Damn it! So the difference between wild beers, uh, native fermented beers. It's my favorite um, conversation yeah. to have with brewers. Tom, Tom did a really good job of explaining that to mm-hmm. me, like wild mixed culture, sour, yeah. kettle sour, like kind of just breaking down the, you know, Berliners and all all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just say, it's such a great thing to hear to to know and, and hear instead of just haphazardly being like oh i like sours well <laughs> cool what part of the sour yeah. game are you into like you know, there's so much that goes into it like everything else but i mean some people like music some people like i don't, I don't know some like edm obscure right. reference like i like technical hardcore i you can go as deep into it as you want to get into it um it's my job to be extremely deep into it it's also part of my job to, in order to take those ideas and that expression and make it accessible for people who don't need to spend their entire lives and, you know, 14 hours of their waking day worried about this sort of stuff. Well, I mean, first of all, let me just say thank you for taking the time. I know you have stuff to do and it's really awesome that you sat down your story that everybody wants to hear your brewery. I often get people asking, are you going to do off color? You're going to do off color, you know? So it's really good to have sat down with you and, and be able to hear the story because I think it's a great one and I think everybody else is going to like it too. Cool. And it was a pleasure for letting me enjoy one of your fine beers while we talked. So thanks cheers to by. you. And uh, yeah, we're out. All right.